The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the Shaleen Show. Shaleen is a Guinness Book of World Record holder for starring in the most fitness videos and the founder of the Smart Success Academy. Your host once went nine days without checking email or social media accounts and lived to tell with the first female white rapper from the 80s, Shaleen Johnson. Thinking of a master plan. Cause ain't nothing but sweat inside my hand So I dig into my pocket all my money spent But I get deeper and still coming up with length I'm Charlene Johnson and I'm here to rock Rhymes like mine can never be stopped See there's one of me and I know I'm lean Party rockers down suppers and my name is Charlene <laughs> I know, not that great Every part of that intro was true Except the part about me being a female white rapper from the 80s but, you know, actually it is true because I am white and I did rap in the 80s, but just from the privacy of my Camaro. So by now you've probably figured out I don't take myself too seriously, but there's a few other things I thought I should probably tell you uh, about myself and I'm hoping that I can learn more about you. I am so sorry. How rude of me to just start talking to you without ever really formally introducing myself. So I figured what better opportunity than now when I realize I'm getting comments from people who are like, who are you? Where did you come from? And what are you all about that I didn't properly introduce myself? So if you already know who I am, um, you know, please feel free to save yourself a little bit of time today and uh, you can ignore this episode. But if we're just meeting each other and just starting to spend time together, I thought it would be great if I could introduce myself and it'd be super cool if you could introduce yourself to me. Just do it on my blog. Go to shaleenjohnson.com forward slash podcast and then click on this episode, which is entitled My Story. Tell me what you thought about this episode. And most importantly, tell me a little bit about your story. Tell me who you are, where you're from, what you do and why you um, enjoy the show or maybe why you hate the show. So to tell you a little bit about who I am and where I came from, my name is Shaleen Johnson, my maiden name. I shouldn't tell you that because you'll probably then steal my identity and you'll be able to crack all my passwords and log into my bank accounts and start posting as me on Facebook. Anyways, I grew up in Michigan, born in Detroit, but I lived all over Michigan. I lived in a tiny little town called Fowlerville. I lived in a city called Portland. I uh, basically went to high school in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And then, of course, East Lansing is where I went to school at Michigan State. I grew up the daughter of a serial entrepreneur, which was really fun. My parents are still married, happily married, and Bill and Marge were great parents. My father had many, many businesses and um, did a lot of really interesting things to create income. I, I think I, the one thing I learned from my upbringing was that just go for it. Try it. You know, he was always kind of reinventing himself and doing new, completely different businesses. And um, we had this life where I didn't realize that maybe financially times were tough. I just always from a very young age was taught that if there's something you want, then we'll just come up with a creative way for you to earn the money 
to have that and then to make a decision on whether you want actually now want to buy that after you think about the hard work that went into making that money. So I learned at a very young age that I could recreate myself, that I could solve problems for people, I could become a solution, I could offer my services, and in doing so, I could um, become financially independent, I could take care of myself, I could take care of other people. So by the time I was like, I'm maybe 13 or 14, I'm not sure exactly. I had already purchased a very tiny land contract which with my dad's help and purchased a little teeny tiny piece of land out in the woods that somebody had a trailer on, true story, and they sent me money monthly on a land contract. I mean, it was legitimately my first experience earning money on my own. And you might think, like, what kid could buy a piece of land? You can buy a little tiny lot of land in a northern, rural, very rural Michigan uh, county for next to nothing back then. But it was a a really great experience. And it it taught me a lot about money and entrepreneurship and um, being self-sufficient. I also learned to flip cars. That's kind of how I put myself through college was by buying used cars from auctions and then fixing them up cosmetically and reselling them. My first business was actually doing just that. It was called the All Michigan Auto Swap Meet. And I, I rented a piece of land from the state of Michigan while I was a student at Michigan State University. And I would rent out spaces to individuals selling their own private vehicles. And then I would also allow people who wanted to buy a vehicle from a private owner to come in. And then they could negotiate with a private owner as opposed to going to a dealership. So, you know, it worked out pretty cool. And uh, it also was something I was very passionate about because I love cars. And to this day, I love cars. That was my first official business and the first business where I had employees and, and actually made some income. And I sold the business before moving to California after I graduated from Michigan State University. My degree is in justice, morality, and constitutional democracy. Yes, that is a degree at Michigan State University within the Honors College at James Madison, which is where most of the athletes at Michigan State live. And that might clue you in on how I met my handsome husband. My handsome husband, Brett Johnson, was the youngest quarterback to ever start at UCLA. I'm not sure what year that was, maybe 88, 89. And then I'm told that there was a falling out or a a change of of staff, and my husband uh, at the time decided to see if there was another school or it might be a better fit for him. And I guess he he did a bunch of – I guess he took a bunch of, you know, trips to other schools, other universities before – realizing that he wanted to be at Michigan State University so he could, again, have that opportunity to play in the Rose Bowl. We met like, I think, a week after he transferred to Michigan State University, and um, I didn't know he was a football player. It's a long story. I'll tell you sometime over dinner. But nonetheless, we are together today, and we graduated from Michigan State and, and jumped in my Honda Prelude with a dog in the back and drove across the country to California, which is where he was born and raised, and I started working as a paralegal. That was my goal. I finished college and worked uh, through college with my, my business and also by working full-time as a paralegal to put myself through college and took the LSAT several times 
and started applying to law schools when I decided, you know what, I should establish residency in California and apply to the California law schools. And maybe I can take the LSAT just like one more time in hopes that I might get a better score. And this time I'll take a prep course and I know I'll get a better score and I know I'll get into a better school. And yeah, so that didn't work out so well. I took a prep course and studied like crazy. And then I took the LSAT again. And I think I was like one point higher. Wah, wah. But I guess that was a blessing in disguise because while I was working as a paralegal full-time, and Brett, by the way, got um, picked up by the Toronto Argonauts, and he left for Canada. I'm like, I I just got here to this warm, beautiful state, and there's not a ring on my finger. So, you know, good luck. Bye. Love ya. And we had a long-distance relationship, but I stayed in California to pursue my degree. Um, I I hope to pursue a degree in law and to continue to work as a paralegal. And he went to play football in the Canadian Football League and we stayed together. And in that process, I started doing personal training, like before work and after work and and kind of doing some fitness classes here in Southern California, just to keep myself busy because my boyfriend was gone. Um, I, I sucked at teaching fitness classes. I was terrible at it, but I loved taking them. Like I, I loved being in that group environment. I'm like, gosh, I, I know I could get good at this because I'm, I'm comfortable in front of people. I love talking. I love dance. I love music. I love inspiring people. I know I could get good at this. It seems like it's a skill I could master. So I, I couldn't get hired anywhere. Every time I went on an audition, it was kind of like they would like, you know, pat me on top of the head and go, oh, that's so cute. No, honey. No, no. You're you're not meant to be teaching fitness classes. So I just started taking classes from other incredible instructors here in Southern California, like Jay Blonick and Eileen Sharon. And and these are all just names that are like very well known in the fitness industry. And they all just happen to live in Southern California. Uh, Donna Meyer and Rob Glick, Linda McHugh. There's so many, I can't even list them all. But I started taking their classes and learning like what made them great. And I think the the one thing I picked up on is that they were just very natural. They were very much themselves. They really connected with people. They made people feel special. That was something I could do pretty easily. The piece I didn't have was I was not very good at, at, at feeling the beat of the music and putting my choreography together. So I just had to work on those skills. And eventually, I did get hired at gyms before and after work, so much so that my classes started becoming really, really popular. And so was my personal training business. And I loved it. And I really hated sitting in an office chair, reading depositions and creating billable hours. Now, no offense to anyone out there who's thinking about a career in law. Thank God that there are phenomenal attorneys out there. I The one piece of advice I would give anyone who's a new entrepreneur is never skimp when it comes to your accountant and or your lawyer. You need a great lawyer. I just, it wasn't for me. I, I knew I, I felt dead inside when I was sitting in that chair trying to stay awake all day creating billable hours. And it wasn't until about 4.30 p.m. that I would start to get butterflies. And I couldn't wait to go do this thing, this thing that I really wasn't getting paid much money for, which was teaching fitness classes. Now, I was making money as a personal trainer, but it felt like an exchange of my time for money. It didn't feel like it. It was that. I was exchanging. If I, if I, if I wasn't working with somebody, I wasn't making any money. So two things. Number one is I started a personal training outsourcing company. It was called In-Home Personal Training. Isn't that a catchy name? And I would train other 
personal trainers how to train people in their homes. And so I manage a very small staff of other personal trainers. I got them their clients. I helped them understand what it took to be a good business person and how to maintain clients and, and how to keep that ball rolling and keep people you know needing you. And then I also continued to teach fitness classes. And I started developing this kind of like weird, funky, hybrid version of a class. It was called Turbo Kick. Actually, at the time, it didn't even have a name. It was just called kickboxing. Um, no special name. It, but it didn't fit with what people would expect when they would take a kickboxing class because I wasn't doing traditional kickboxing. I was doing kind of a mix of hip hop and a little bit of dance and a little bit of kickboxing and a little bit of athletic drills and and doing these anaerobic drills in the middle where the music would speed up. And, and um, it took off. It took off like crazy. And I realized that a lot of instructors, fitness instructors, needed a problem solved. And the problem was that most fitness professionals were not doing it for the money. They were doing it because they loved it. It gave them a high. It was rewarding. But they would spend hours creating these classes and this choreographed music and putting them together. And then they would make, you know, just barely over minimum wage in some cases. And it just didn't make sense. So I thought, what if what if I could do all that for them? I could, I could test the workouts. I could create the music. I could create the choreography. I could put together this perfect paint-by-numbers workout that that actually worked and then you could step into the room and be you you could it's your personality that makes people come to classes anyways and it's just having that perfect blend of music and choreography that is the icing on the cake but people really show up because of you you're motivating so I started creating that and again not my own concept I really looked at the jazzercise fitness model and said, yeah, I, I can do something like this, but cooler. And I started licensing music and creating these workouts and and it became pretty popular, very popular. So much so that I, my husband and I um, decided that he would quit his full-time job, which at the time wasn't something he loved. It was just kind of like that first gig after college. Like he was helping a friend um, manage his business. So it was a risk and it was scary, but we decided to go into this, both of us, full time. It was scary and it was rocky and it was awkward and it was difficult. And we struggled to figure out, like, am I the boss? Are you the boss? Like, and then that whole dichotomy between a husband and a wife, where, you know, the husband, I just, think naturally wants to provide for and take care of the family, which I wanted him to do too, but it felt like he was working for me at first. And we eventually figured that out. We we really figured it out where I could rely completely on the strengths that he had, which I did not have at all. And he could, you know, rely on the strengths that I had, characteristics that he didn't have. And we really, I think we make a great team, I have to say. But it was rocky. It was tough. Um, it was not easy. We figured it out and we, f and it was, it is, it has been such a rewarding experience to figure that out and to have somebody who's always by your side with a little different perspective, but we we both want the same thing. We talk about the same people. We were working towards the same goals. Like everything about our day is pretty much aligned. I mean, there are moments when he's doing, he, he coaches football, by the way, he coaches high school football at a, a local high school, but he doesn't do that as a teacher. He does it, you know, out of passion and love. Um, and I don't know how long he'll do that after my son graduates from high school, but it's, you know, that's when he does his own thing. And when I'm doing my own thing, it's really, um, I love to dance. I love to paint, etc. But other than that, we're like, 
we're either talking about kids or talking about business and people go, doesn't that make you like business partners and it's difficult to like separate that from, you know, your love connection? And I don't think so at all. I think it makes us more appreciate each other. And then we do have our date nights at least once, if not twice a week. And we are more connected today than we ever were, even 10 years ago, even when we first met. Our, our our relationship is first and foremost, and we put so much effort into it, and nothing matters as much as that. So we figured that out, and we started um, the certification company and started selling clothing and workouts and apparel and an apparel company that kind of built this huge tribe of fitness instructors across the globe who were teaching our workout. And, and then we started certifying people so that they could teach this workout, and we put them on a continuity program where they would sign up up to become a member. And then every month we would send them a new workout, new music and a new routine. And and it was a lot. It was a lot, a lot of work. We had to hire and recruit the right people to then certify and represent our brand and our program, um, you know, in, in every state and in lots of different countries. And and that meant taking care of people so that they embodied the brand and that they they felt important and they understood that it was it was them that people were falling in love with because they would they wouldn't meet me they would meet the trainer who was going to teach them how to teach this format so they i needed them i needed people who were super lovable and really humble and caring and came from the right place and could take care of people and could make people after one day of going through a training i i needed the kind of individual who could make you feel like you could do this so it was a pretty special group of people but that required developing really special relationships with these people. I mean, the reason why our business was successful, I believe, is because of the relationships that Brett and I had with what we called our area promotions directors. I mean, they are to this day where I give my gratitude. And I I mean, it's because of them that we were able to create this huge, huge tribe, this following this, this culture around a workout. It's the craziest thing. And And before long, we had the workout in like thousands of health clubs. That meant at a certain stage, we had millions of people doing this workout live every day. Now, they weren't doing it on video. They were doing it in a club. And their particular instructor was the person who was their quote unquote tribe leader. That was the person who they fell in love with. Now, I was creating the program. I mean, people just became a part of this movement and not always knowing like where it started. Like people didn't always know me. They just felt like they had stepped into a class and that they belonged. And that's what I wanted. I wanted people to fall in love with their instructor and then fall in love with the person next to them and just walk into a room and feel like they belonged. And a big part of that was just the look and the feel and attracting a certain type of individual who wasn't being served by the treadmill or the bike or your traditional group exercise classes. And that's how the Apparel kind of worked into this. You know, it's kind of like when you think about Harley Davidson and and the way that's a, a, a culture. And you'll see, you know, dentists and lawyers and doctors and engineers. And and then on the weekends, they put on their gear. You know, they put on their jeans and their black leather and the boots and 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 the apparel is part of that culture. And that's really what I used to help inspire 
a deeper sense of tribe, a deeper sense of community so that people didn't just identify themselves when they walked in the room, like they could look across the room at somebody. And we all kind of started to, you know, have this way of dressing. It was, it was really fun to do. Some of it was intentional. Some of it was just accidental. But once I realized that it was working, I'm like, let's, let's emphasize this. I mean, here we were starting this crazy business at something that I was really not very good at. But once I figured out a way to, to master it and then solve that problem for fellow instructors, now suddenly we had, I mean, we were, we were, we were doing really well. And we had everything I had imagined, you know, I, I, I didn't intend for it ever to be fitness, but I always expected I would help people solve a problem that I had once figured out. So it all sounds pretty good, right? Like we've got this crazy unique business and we've got thousands and thousands and thousands of customers who are turning this into this ginormous tribe of people who are getting together online and they feel like they belong to something. And I mean, it's really going well. And we We've got like 60 or 70 now area promotions directors, by the way, whom I felt like each and every one of them was a good friend. I mean, and that's how I selected them. And I really cultivated those relationships. You know, obviously we were doing really, really well financially. It was unbelievable that this had snowballed into this amazing thing that I had dreamed of. But I never really sat down and defined what I wanted for my life. I mean, I knew what I thought success would look like, but I didn't, once I was there and, and we were we were there, I was so completely overwhelmed. And, um, oh God, I mean, just <sighs> thinking about it right now, it takes my breath away. It, like literally makes me want to cry because it was such an overwhelming sense of obligation to so many people. And what made me feel sick every single day in the bottom of my stomach was that I knew the only three people in the world who mattered were Brock, Sierra, those are my two kids, and Brett. And I couldn't give them what I was supposed to be giving them. I mean, and um, my husband and I especially me, I, I just, I was not good at delegating and I felt an incredible demand on me to, to give of myself to all of these people, all of these trainers, all of these customers. And I, I, I wanted to be in every single video. I wanted to pick every single song and I wanted to be in the production studio, cutting up the music and I wanted to oversee, I, I did everything. I don't even know if I wanted to. I just felt like I couldn't let anyone else do all of these things. It was so much pressure. And we had tremendous success. We had, you know, 60,000, 70,000, I don't know how many thousands of instructors worldwide teaching this format, but it meant every single day there was more to do because I started creating new programs. And then there was Hip Hop Hustle and Payo and Turbo Kick and All Star Presenter Camp. And I had to be in every video and I had to pick every single song. And because I believed no one else could do it the way I did it and care as much, I turned into a shell of a person. And what began to suffer was my health, my relationships, my ability to be present. You just, at some point, you're gonna break. And my breaking point was about the time that we signed to do a fitness infomercial called Turbo Jam. And we signed that deal with uh, the giant, now in the industry, the giant, which is Beachbody, um, but we had the opportunity to to really pick whatever company we wanted to work with because 
our programs were hot. And I had these incredible testimonials from people who had lost, you know, hundreds of pounds and kept it off for years. So, you know, Guthy Ranker and Silmark and and Beachbody and and a lot of companies that have since gone out of business, they were all offering us amazing contracts. And probably the scariest contract for me to accept, the one with the smallest dollar amount was the Beachbody offer. But there was something about Beachbody and it was their community and it was the way they understood what it was I was doing and they didn't ask me to change anything. They're like, we get it, we totally get it. So I signed an infomercial deal with them we went to film and I, ju- I just knew it was going to be a hit. I, you know, the main reason why I knew it was going to be a hit is not even so much because of TV, but because I knew I had instructors in every single state who had their own huge group of fans who would want to do this at home. So it was kind of a no brainer. And, and sure enough, it was a number one hit. But then, then on top of everything else I was doing and felt that nobody else could do, now I felt a need to take care of fans and customers and respond to emails. And, and what if somebody didn't like it? And, and, and it just it got to the point where it, it didn't matter how much money we were making. It didn't matter that we had an infomercial show that was number one. It didn't matter. And, and I didn't like the fame. I didn't like that people now we're recognizing me and saying like really super awkward things in front of my kids, you know, like, hey, what's it like to have Shalene as your mom? Like, how does a kid even respond to that? They, they, it's just your mom. And, and it was so overwhelming. And, and, and now we had like more money than we even knew what to do with. And that made me feel like there was more people to take care of and more people to be responsible to and and it just it just didn't matter anymore all i knew is that i had never been so unhappy and so overwhelmed and so distant and um i didn't know what to do but i knew it could go on this way i mean brett and i were either going to end up divorced or my kids were going to end up those kids that you know you hear about because their parents completely abandoned them that they just you know go the wrong way I knew I was missing out on so much. I knew that everything I said I wanted, I had, but I wasn't happy because I never thought about what I wanted was peace. You know, I wanted to live in a big house and I wanted to be able to have the kind of money that afforded me the ability to just take care of people and pay for crazy things. And, and, I, and I knew I wanted to solve problems for people and I knew I wanted all these things. But the one thing I didn't realize was going to make me happy was having calm, having peace, and this is only my, only my definition of success. For me to feel successful, I have to feel a certain level of peace. I have to feel that I can connect with my family and the people who are important to me without any guilt or feeling like there's all these other people I have to take care of. And I just, we got to a place where we said, this can't happen. We now have to disassemble this. And my husband and I went through a plan. We created a blueprint to disassemble disassemble my own prison that I the the prison that I had built myself I had to learn how to delegate I had to learn how to let go I had to learn how to put other people at the forefront and to let let other people do the things that they will will do better than me and I had to I had to stop being a perfectionist and I had to delegate and I had to lift people up so that they could do a better job of the things I thought I had to do and it took some time and we created a blueprint and we eventually were able to sell a business that just five years prior was completely dependent upon one person but by the time we were able to 
to sell our companies, we had built a an even stronger tribe, a stronger family, and we had put better people in positions doing things that I thought only I could do. And we were eventually purchased by Beachbody. Um, I can't disclose that deal, but I can just tell you this. It, it wasn't about the number. It was about how can I make this right for people? This is a child that I've raised. That's how I felt about my businesses. And I need to place it in the hands of somebody who, I know they're not going to do it like me, but it's my best chance. And this company either dissolves or it grows, but I can't grow it and and stay true to who I am and be happy. So we sold that company. And since that time, my husband and I um, continue to work with Beachbody. I am a consultant. My husband and I both consult with them in the, the business acquisition. And we still help to consult to make sure that the brands still are strong and that we're serving instructors and that instructor community. I also have a contractual relationship with Beachbody where I do fitness infomercials from them. And that's like completely separate. So I still do consumer videos. And that's a much, much more enjoyable thing to do than pumping out videos every single month, every single month to fitness instructors. It's so doable. I maybe do one every two years, one project every two years. So it's very doable. And it's allowed the two of us to do what we believe is our purpose and our calling. So now we own a company called Team Johnson. We have uh, maybe three full-time employees. Everyone else is virtual staff or consultant. We, we work a couple hours a day, and what we do is we teach people how to do less. I teach people entrepreneurship because when this all happened, we realized, okay, we're starting over from scratch. We've got this opportunity to build our dream life, and we'll do it differently this time, and we will, we will have a plan before we start, and we'll know exactly what we want it to look like and what we don't want it to look like. So we started with that plan and it seemed very utopian-like, but then we created a system around it. Both of us felt compelled to help others avoid some of the pitfalls that we found ourselves in. And we were very compelled to share this message, but to to be able to do that in a way that still was true to our priorities. And that meant that neither of us wanted to tour the country speaking. We wanted to to teach and to share, but to do it from the privacy of our home and to be done by 3 p.m. when the kids get home from school. And to not feel that like overwhelming obligation to take care of people at nine o'clock at night and on Saturdays and on Sundays, which you can't help but feel if you have a huge organization. I'm not saying that everyone should avoid that. I'm just, I just know that we didn't want our lives to feel like that. That's exactly what the internet has allowed us to do is to build a secondary business. I like to think of it as a secondary life. I like to think of it as a second chance. It's it's everything that I wanted, but with far more purpose and thought and planning. And now we've created all of these very simple systems that I wish I had known the first time around. And it is my calling to be able to share it with other people. And the reason why we both are able to be together and be there for our kids is quite frankly, because of mediums like this, because I can talk to you and I can share these stories with you without having to fly to wherever it is you live and without having to pack a suitcase and and without having to actually get on the phone I can I can share these messages with you and we can help inspire other couples and still stay true to our key priorities which is our kids and our family and our marriage it's been very rewarding I love doing the online academies because I 
I'd love to be a teacher. I'd love to be a professor. And whatever it is I'm learning, that's what I'm going to share with my lifers next. And once I figured out how to change the way we operate and and live far more productively and with greater purpose and the systems, the habits, and, and the tools and the resources, and then the policies and the single subject scheduling that people need to learn in order to live this way and to, you know, start a secondary business or maybe just to just to connect with the people that you love and not to feel like you're busy all day, but completely unproductive. We wouldn't be able to teach that to people if it weren't for the internet. So when people will reply to me on Facebook or on YouTube or whatever, and they'll say, come to Maryland or come to Boston or when are you going to come to China? I always answer the same, which is maybe someday after my kids have left and gone to school. But for right now, I'm, I am where I'm supposed to be. And just a couple of times a year, Brett and I put on seminars. Um, we put on Smart Success once a year, not five times a year, once a year. And once it's closed, it's closed. And we put on um, Marketing Impact Academy once a year. And those are the seminars we're doing right now. I'm doing this podcast. But most of what we do to help people is done so in a way that it still supports and stays true and authentic to what we believe is most important in our own definition of, of success, which is really our own definition of happiness. It's it's not fame always that brings people money. I mean, I mean we earn a far greater income today. I know that's going to surprise people by coaching people to to do less so that they can be more. We we not only and and kind of the income part is like who cares? Like that wasn't our intention. More important I think even than the fact that our income has grown is that our um our purpose feels like it's being fulfilled. Both of us feel that way. It's so rewarding to help people reconnect and and to like stop listening to what society says you're supposed to do in order to be successful and to listen to your gut and to listen to your heart and to lead with love and to put people first. So it's a pretty cool thing because the most important people you should serve are the people who will be at your bedside at the end of your life period, end of subject. I want to teach people how their their worth and their value does not come from their resume, but from the way they, they treat the people who matter the most. Anyways, that's who I am. I don't know where I'm going next. I do know this though. Whatever I figure out, I will then share it with you. I, I didn't know that I would figure out fitness. I didn't know that eventually I would end up doing a lot of my connecting with people online and in social media and understanding how to stay connected with people and serve them from my computer without having to travel around the world and speak because I want to stay home. I'm like, I'm recording this right now from my home. I don't like to leave. I want to be with my family. So I don't know where I'll be 10 years from now, but I, I do know this very clearly that wherever I am, I will be helping you. Whatever I figured out, I'm going to share the answers with you and I'm not going to tell you how to do it. I'm just going to tell you how I did it. And if that helps you, then I know I am living my purpose. I'm a woman of faith. My, I'm a Christian. I, I believe that you have to listen to people. You have to hear their story. And you have to lead with love. And when you do that, everything just kind of falls into place. So anyways, that's a little bit about me. I've got, did I mention I have a brother and a sister and I live in Southern California? Gosh, I mean, I guess you'll get more of this stuff as you listen to the shows. 
I just thought it would be a good idea to tell you who I am and save you some time in trying to figure it out because life's too short. And if, if I'm not your cup of tea, God bless you. I understand no hard feelings. Move on in, in light and love and um, have a blessed day. But if, if I'm the kind of person you relate to, I, I want to thank you for spending time with me. So tell me a little bit about you. Who are you? What do you stand for? Where do you live? What do you want to do? What do you want to be when you grow up? What's important to you? Where are you, you know, working on yourself? What, what's a challenge for you right now? Head over to my blog. It's shaleenjohnson.com forward slash podcast and leave me a message. I would love to get to know you. Until next time, lifers. I love you. I mean it. Thanks for listening, lifers. Shalene invites you to join her for her free coaching program designed to help you get organized, productive, and laser-focused on what really matters. To sign up for her free video coaching program, please visit 30daypush.com.